1: Hello listeners and welcome to another edition of The Gag and Pod. David Weiner with you for another dose of football chat. Liverpool and Manchester City might be amidst twists and turns, but I'm feeling about as fresh as Spurs in the final ten minutes of a game of football. We've got lots to talk about today and to do that we've got a great panel. Former Premier League, Scottish Premier League, Scotland international, Gavin Ray is back with us. How are you mate? Welcome.
2: Good, thanks very much.
1: Great to see you again. Now we've got alongside you, don't know if this is a bit awkward at all, but... Former roo, Luke Wilkeshire is back for a hat-trick of Gag and Pod performances. How are you?
3: Yeah, all good, thanks, man. But
1: how are you feeling? I mean, the, back in the day, you, you were half a chance of playing for Gav when you returned back home
3: in the NPL here with Hako Sydney City. Yeah, it's actually an interesting one. Uh, like you say, when I was finishing up at Sydney FC last year, we did have that conversation. I went around and... We had a chat, he, he made me a coffee and, you know, I, I considered it. Ended up going back to Wollongong rules because <laughs> his, his coffee simply wasn't good enough. <laughs> and the negotiation skills, not
1: good enough over the line. Thankfully the coffee was much better here today, right?
2: Yeah, it was great down here. <laughs>
1: Outstanding, know. we can seal the deal. Um, of course, pre going well for you guys. You're nearly at NPL kickoff with Wollongong and Hakka respectively. What have you got coming up this weekend?
3: Yeah, look, we've, uh, we've, we've had a few friendly games now. We were up in Newcastle last weekend, got a good victory against Hamilton. Olympic up there and yeah, coming down is uh Lampton Jaffers. So uh, Bridgie's gonna bring oh. his, his team down to the gong and yeah, I hope to, to stick it up here. Imagine the chat on the sideline there, my goodness.
2: Yeah, that'll be interesting. Um yeah, we played Blacktown Spartans on Saturday, so just getting the, the minutes in the guy's legs, so we're getting the
1: Brilliant stuff. And now it's all about squad depth and new voices here on the pots. We've turned to another fresh voice for you. A former Manchester United Academy graduate with over 400 games experience in English League football before turning to coaching with Blackburn Rovers and most recently in the Indian Super League. Ashley Westwood, welcome to the show. Great to have you.
4: Thanks. Uh, nice to be here. Great
1: to, great to see you. How are you feeling as a, uh, a former Manchester United Academy
4: graduate watching things at the moment over at Old Trafford? To be honest, uh, I'm actually a Man City fan. Wow. Which was uh, a little bit strange. I uh, signed for Monday Night when I was 10. I was there for nine years, um, but secretly I was always a Man City fan, which uh, I never declared it, so I'm, uh, I'm buzzing at the minute. I think you might get there.
1: Well, let's kick off with the result that has put Manchester City in the position to go top again, of course. It was Liverpool dropping points against West Ham. Gav, what do you put this down to? Is it the nerves? Is it squad depth? Is it something else that Jur- Jurgen Klopp is doing? Uh, even if Liverpool
2: aren't nervous, they're being told they're nervous. Yeah, I mean, it's always going to happen in the season where they're going to have a little sticky pa- uh, sticky period. They're still, still up there, obviously, still doing well. But I think the the result when Man City obviously got the win against them has really put it, you know, like opened it up and um, put them under pressure. And whether they've been able to handle that pressure before or had that pressure before, being top of the league and being chased, you know, it's it's a new thing to them. So, you know, Man City have smelling blood at the moment. Um, I fancy them to win it. Ash... T- what do you put it down to for Liverpool in terms of the expectation
1: in the city, the pressure that is on them? Um, is that really what's going on here or is it something a little bit more at play? You know, Jurgen Klopp was missing players yesterday as well and he was very keen to point that out too.
4: Yeah, I think there's a few things. Obviously, expectation. We all remember the, the Gerard slip and, and the desperate to win. But I think um, injuries has obviously been huge, uh, certainly in the defence. Um you know, Lovren's hamstring. The, the big one for me was letting the, uh, Klein go mm. on loan. You know, that's, Bournemouth. that's been a, a huge one. Uh, he's doing really well at Bournemouth. You know, they've seen Milner at right back, which is like a, a round peg in the square hole. Um, and you know, for me, when you're so close to winning the Premier League, you never let anybody go out the building. So maybe a little bit of mismanagement. Um, the period of of 12 days without a game. The lads went to Dubai apparently on a, a pre-season or you know mid-season trip. Uh, Got a few illnesses. I think Van Dijk got an illness. Milner travelled apparently on his own to the game the other day and then ended up playing. So there's lots of things going on and and it just looks a little bit thin for me at the squad but they're at the top of the league and it's there to lose.
1: Luke, I saw Henry Winter going toe-to-toe with Robbie Fowler on social media where uh, Henry Winter, the uh, well-known journalist, was talking about the pressure and the noose going around Liverpool and how they're starting to play poorly. And Robbie Fowler said, no, it was another point gained, Then we've gone three points clear now as opposed to the other way. Which way do you read Liverpool's slide at the moment or trend at the moment?
3: Yeah, I think you're going to find any Liverpool supporter is going to be saying, look, it's a point gained, and we're still there, but... But going off the the recent weeks and I think the looking at the squad depth, I think uh, Manchester City are there with the momentum. They've, they've got those games. They've got a lot of goals in them. They've got a, they've got a very strong bench, uh, which they can turn to coming back into Champions League in extra games now. And like I say, if you look at those points that, that they've dropped Liverpool, I do think that the pressure is starting to get to them. And, and like you said, even if they're saying that they're not feeling it and... You know, it's human nature that there's going to be there in the back of their mind when they're hearing and reading so many, so many people around there telling them that they're slipping and that they're they're falling into a, a bit of a hole. It's
1: amazing. It's still one loss all season, but it's amazing what the pressure of expectation can do. What is the biggest or who is the biggest factor in this title race? Is it Liverpool's nerves? Is it? Manchester City's concentration, is it Sergio Aguero? What is the decisive factor now over the next couple of months?
2: I think it's hard to put it down to one thing, but certainly um, Aguero coming in, obviously form is normal, absolutely flying, Salah's not scored for a few, few weeks. You know, there's all these things coming in. Um, I think Man City, as I say, having the experience of doing it before, I'd, I'd put them in the box seat at the moment. For me, it's, uh,
4: it's Van Dijk. If he gets injured, it's over. Um, such a presence, both boxes, obviously a real danger from set-pieces, and Liverpool are that thin at the back. If he gets injured, for me, it's curtains.
1: It's, it's amazing how things change, because everyone was talking about Liverpool having done their business, not needing to go and do anything in, in, the, in the January window, yet the, the, without Henderson and without, without Wijnaldum and without a couple of absences at the back, all of a sudden it did look like they were suffering uh, over
4: the last couple of games. Yeah, for sure. I mean, you know, Milner, he plays everywhere. is a, a top player, top pro. But, you know, him at right back, it's, it's fantasy for me. You know, you, you, something's wrong. If you're playing Milner at right back, then it's showing you that you are thin. And then you let Klein go out on loan, it's, it's, it's balmy for me. Most Salah, Roberto Firmino, those types of players, are they doing enough for Liverpool at the moment?
3: Well, I think uh, Liverpool have been relying on, on those those fun three players for goals and, and if they have a drive patch which they are at the moment then, then they're going to struggle you wonder where, where they're going to get it from and that's when you look at Man City and the depth they've got and they've got goals anywhere throughout the team and I think that's going to be the difference.
1: Yeah, now, Gav, you're telling anyone that will listen on social media that Liverpool are still going to come third. So that means you're putting Tottenham back in the title race. What credit do we give Spurs and Richard Pochettino? They have a phenomenal record. I made that joke at the start about the final 10 minutes. But the truth is, for a team that was meant to be fatigued with World Cup injuries, no signings, players that are absent right now, big players, they are phenomenal in the last 10 minutes. You'd write them, off, you'd be loath to write them off, but realistically, jokes aside, are you putting them in the title race?
2: It's hard, you know. Obviously, they're always up there. I've been the last few years, but just can't see them winning. Just can't see them winning at all. You know, unfortunately, they've they've got some un- unbelievable players. He's done an unbelievable job, but I just could, I can't see them winning at all, to be honest.
1: Their record, just to, for the, for listeners: PSV, Inter, Barca, Burnley, Fulham, Watford, Newcastle. In all those t- t- games, they scored a winner or equalizer in the last ten minutes. That speaks volumes for what Pochettino can do with these people and the character. It's almost like you asked, Will City have the concentration, will Liverpool have the nerves? Well, you know, Tottenham will have the character. And one guy who's been so key to that has been Hansung Sung Min since he's come back from the Asian Cup. Um, people are starting to now talk about that conversation of player of the year, most underrated
4: player. He's probably top of both queues, he'd be right up there, wouldn't he? Yeah, I mean, he plays obviously with freedom, um, you know, really fit, like, like you mentioned, the score in the last few minutes and whatnot. You know, energetic, which is what Tottenham have. For me, they're they're the underdogs, so you play with a little bit more freedom, like we've talked about Liverpool's pressure and how it can get to you. Tottenham aren't expected to win it. Everyone's talking about the not signed players. They're in the top three. I don't think people even thought there was a top three, but I think. In the last few games they've got, they've got to play Chelsea, they've got to play Arsenal, they've got to play Liverpool, they've got to play Man City. I think there's just too many big games for
1: them. Regardless, it's a credit to the fact that they're still even within the race. So just talking about, to wrap this up in terms of just the way Liverpool are starting at the moment, would it be fair to say that you're just not seeing them at their fluent best right now? There's questions over the, even their midfield functionality and how fluent they are. You compare that to City. Now, as they come in through this period going forward, there's a great stat that they've scored something like 19 goals, number one in the Premier League, for goals scored within the six-yard box. It's like that everything you want from them is picture perfect. They're able to play that a flowing solar football that ends with that ball fizzed across the six-yard box for an Aguero, a Sane, a Sterling, a Mahrez to tap in. Do you feel like it, when the pressure rises, that when they go back to their default, they'll rise above the pressure?
2: I think so. And I think it's down experience from doing it before again. Um, they had a little sticky patch as well but now they seem to be on their way up and Liverpool have just sort of st- uh, stuttering a little bit and the, on the way you know not firing as much as what they were before so again I fancy Man City to win it
4: I think um, Man City have the players that can lock the door you talked about that goal going across the six yard box it was an unbelievable pass from Gundogan mm. um, you know I spoke mm. to people within the Liverpool club and they're saying they haven't got a Coutinho they haven't got someone that can actually make that little bit difference and what you're seeing with teams against Liverpool now is the defending deep And when people defend deep against Liverpool, they don't have the guile to unlock things where Man City do. You know, De Bruyne, David Silva, Gundogan, Liverpool haven't got that. And I think that's the difference.
1: Yeah, gee, and and, uh, Naby Keita's performance when he came back into the team uh, in the West Ham game wouldn't have filled them with much confidence because he was someone who was meant to provide them with not probably a ball-playing X-Factor like that, but at least someone that can drive, get in the box, create those overloads, and he struggled with the defence
2: sitting deep. Well, Shaqiri came on. And he's one that you looked yeah. to, to open the door, but he, he came on, he didn't play particularly well when he came on, but he's certainly one that Klopp would have been looking to when he put him on, you know, can you open the door for us, but he didn't do it. But he is one that's capable of it, and it's, you know, surprising. I think he'll come more into the, the season, you know, as it, as it goes on, because they're going to be teams sitting deep against him, and they're going to need somebody like him with his quality coming on.
1: He might become the signing that That is the key for them going forward just because of that point of difference that he provides. We'll touch on it briefly because uh, our listeners may listen to this after the Manchester City-Everton game on Thursday. But uh, Everton, they're an interesting one. Marco Silva, he's under a lot of pressure. Um, He spent big in in the summer window. Uh, It's interesting on the weekend coming up, he actually plays Watford, his former club. Is he a myth or is he this magician that uh, is capable of playing wonderful attacking football and actually achieving
4: in the medium to long term, well, he started well, um, and everyone's talking about his tactics. And you can Google it, and you can see him playing four three three, energetic, doing this, doing that. Um, but his record recently he only won three from the last twelve, only won one out of the last six. All of a sudden, I think teams are starting to work Everton out, and he's under big pressure. The fans are starting to turn, and uh, you know he's definitely definitely up against it because he's not he's not you not know, getting the victories that he proclaims to have with this myth of a, of a great system. But at the end of the day, you know. They're all good coaches in England. They're all good coaches in the Premier League. I don't think there's anyone extra special. It's about your recruitment. It's about your spirit and obviously about winning games.
1: Is he under pressure in the short term to keep his job or do you think he's the kind of coach that if they've brought him in, they've got to back him for a little while to, to implement this style of football
3: that, that they wanted after Big Sam last year? Yeah, look, they've obviously gone and they've, they've spent the money so they've backed him in, in that sense. They've, they've allowed him to go out there and spend the money. They'll... There's no doubt that, that he'll see the season out. Uh, depending on, on what they can produce between now and the end of the season, I think will will determine whether he'll be there next year or not.
1: Okay, well, that's uh, much to talk about. and Many more twists and turns are coming up in that title race, no doubt about it. Jens, we're going to move on to an issue involves the football well, but it is not on the pitch, and it's something that has really taken... Uh, taken the hearts and minds of a lot of Australian football fans, sports fans, and now a lot of Australians in general. And that's the case of Hakim al-Hurabi, Harabi, is uh, in a Thailand jail right now, waiting basically to find out if he's going to be extradited back to Bahrain um, or whether he can come to Australia where he has political assignment. But so, unfortunately, and uh, you can find out more if you want to know the ins and outs of the, the story and the backstory on Sports Twitter page, where we have a, a really... Um, simple explanation for you about what's happened, but he is—he um, was detained upon arriving in Thailand for his honeymoon, and now led by Craig Foster, there's the campaign to have him returned home. Um, and I guess what this has shown is the amidst this really unfortunate situation, the way that sport and the football community can galvanise. Gave your emotion when you when you look at the actual human element of this story that involves a footballer, like all of you, all of you yourselves.
2: Yeah, it's shocking, you know um, the situation and, and seeing them in shackles the other day on the TV. Is you know it's heartbreaking for him, heartbreaking for his family as well. But you know, hopefully, they can do the right thing and, and get him back and bring him bring him back to Australia. But it's going to be tough. There's obviously a lot of uh, political notions in there as well. And um, Craig Foster's doing a great job leading leading that charge. But it's going to be a really tough one. Look, it's um, the job
1: is not done. So you don't want to sit here petting people on the back and saying how good a job the community has done but you must feel an immense sense of pride about the way that the football community has taken this upon its shoulders to make sure that someone is not left on their own um, when we can fight for them
3: yeah hundred percent I think you know the fact that the community and you know the government the football uh, community uniting throughout the world to, to try and do something I think if there's any chance of, of getting getting him out of there I think that's the way through it and you know you hope that that it can bear weight Um, However, unfortunately, he's he's in that situation And the political powers uh, through Bahrain and Thailand Is probably obviously not easy to go through Mm. Um, So look, I I think everyone's just got to got to hope for the best. He's got to stay strong and, and hopefully the right outcome will come in the end.
1: So he was a player in Victoria with Pasco Vale. He's 25 years old um, and we've learned in recent days that the Thailand Prime Minister does have the authority to actually sanction his release but now it's up to the politicking in the background. We don't want sport and politics to mix but this is an instant where sport can actually almost galvanise people and, and and triumph above all that. Um this quote from uh, the, the head of the PFA, uh, you cannot enjoy the privileges of being a part of the international community, which Thailand did when Australia uh, had two rescuers go over and rescue their their football youngsters from the, from the cave in those harrowing circumstances, um, if you cannot live by its rules and standards. And I guess that's where the sporting community can come in and actually try and force a hand in a way.
4: Yeah, for sure. You um, know, I've been to a, a few A League games recently, and we've all seen the banners and the, and the teams holding up the banners and you know supporting it. And you know, it is a voice; it's a, it's an avenue to to get your message out there, which is is like what we're trying to do today. And hopefully, uh, you know, justice will will happen and it'll come back. But it's nice to see the football community and the power of, of FIFA. Hopefully, will will step in and, and something you know evitably will happen.
1: Hashtag Save Hakeem and kudos to Craig Foster and all those that are working behind it and all we can do is try to spread that message and try and uh, make everyone aware of what's going on so that social media campaign can ramp up and hopefully... Hopefully, uh, there's, a, there's a just result in the coming days and weeks. Okay, guys, on to something on the field, and that's what we want to be talking about more often than not. Let's finish this sentence where each week we go through and we discuss a range of topics to get uh, all the big talking points in the world of football. Ash, we'll kick off with you. Anthony Martial has committed to Manchester United for five years, and there's talk Marcus Rashford might follow suit. That, for Manchester United
4: fans, is... Fantastic, um, you know, fans like to see local players. I know I was a, a local player myself uh, coming through the system at Man United, and, and it galvanises fans when you see one of your own. And with all of the chance, Harry Kane is one of our own. Whatever you know, you like to see that, and it, it's fantastic. It's so hard these days for for young players to come through. I think, you know, weekends, you're looking at 50 players in the Premier League out of 220 that start every week are are English. So that just shows you how hard it is. The money's there, the foreigners come, and to see young English players coming through the system, it's always really, really rewarding. It's not just for the fans, the whole club, you know, get a lift from young players coming through the system.
1: Rashford will be the second youngest to Ryan Giggs to make it to 100 games for Manchester United. Now, you've almost walked in similar shoes, you've come through that academy. Can you give an insight into the the pressures and expectations or even just the life that that you are getting prepared for as you come through for this you know through this system
4: yeah it's kind of uh, it's a different era now um you know back in the day you know Alex Ferguson's our youth have coach was Eric Harrison uh, people like Archie Knox nobby stars were at the club and they used to breed men if you like winners there was no there was no place for weak characters even people like Gary Neville Phil Neville they were they were hammered if you like and and the the weak fell by the wayside the stronger came through. But now it's you know the social media, the money. It's more about nurturing talent, if you like, rather than making these big, strong men. So it, it is a, a different era. But when you see players come through like Rashford, it, it's really, really good.
1: It's amazing how times change. We're talking three months ago. Um, they're signing Alexis Sanchez. You're signing big stars. You're talking about what's going to happen to these kids. And all of a sudden, Manchester United are in a position where Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, whether he's there or not long-term, they can build their future on Pogba, Lingard, Martial, Rashford. And the tone changes
3: completely. Yeah, hundred percent. I think you know to get to get those sort of young and vibrant players and someone to believe in them in Solskjaer, I think touching on there what Ash said about the the generation and how how they build into men, how you know, they how they're going through the the system there and they're made men. And I think that's you talk about generation and the change of that, how it's done nowadays, where they're more nurtured and and so forth, which is. You know, sometimes not. I think the best way to go into the world in general. I think, um, I think back then, then and you look at the success that obviously Manchester United had by bringing those guys in, by getting them taught the hard way and and the strong one. That's why they're so successful, and that's why over the recent years you could maybe say you know it has been quite as successful as then.
1: Huddersfield Town's real level is
2: uh, uh, <laughs> tricky one. Um, <laughs> um, you know, it's difficult. Probably championship, to be honest. Um, they're punching above their weight where they are at the moment. Um, you know, being in the Premier League for a couple of years, tough one for them. Um, it's always going to be difficult for a club like Huddersfield, you know, coming up to Premier League. But, you know, fair play to them getting there. It's just a really difficult level on the next level up, you know.
1: Yeah, and I think uh, they were a free kick for Chelsea and Sarri Ball under their pressure on the weekend with their 5-0
4: defeat. Ash, Burnley's recovery with their sixth match unbeaten run since New Year's Eve is... Fantastic for me. Um, a, a personal friend of mine, Sean Disher. I played with him, and uh, you know their their results recently. They got twelve points from the last eighteen available. Before that, they only got twelve from from nineteen games. So it's been a, a magnificent turnaround for them. And then obviously they're now signing players like Peter Crouch. So uh, I've seen a a great little post. There was a big bridge in Burnley. And we've seen a your head on the way in, Crouchy. (laughs) And now he's got uh,
1: Crouchy's Red Hot Robot, a sausage brand that's come out. So there's all the the social media tricks getting played by Burnley there. So that will be very interesting to see how that goes. Great to see a great personality back in the top flight there. Um, Here's a different one, Gav. Um,
2: England's best right back is... Trent, Alexander Arnold, I'd say probably. Um, James Milner, possibly. (laughs) 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 Gloves off there. (laughs) Yeah, no, I'd probably say Trent. Obviously. Kyle Walker's been there and done it for years but you know at the moment I think up and coming uh, I'd probably say Trent is probably the best right back at the minute
1: We threw that one in because Crystal Palace 21-year-old Aaron Wan-Bissaka has taken the league by storm and all of a sudden you've
4: got England who are pretty flush with options in the fullback positions Yeah for me it's Kyle Walker I mean we, we're talking about the lad obviously at Palace he's played 30 games he's 21 years of age you know you make mistakes so for me to, to be named as as the best right back or he's potentially the best right back but 30 games you can't be talking you need 150 games under your belt you've got to learn from mistakes, and he's not really made any yet.
1: Well, interesting. Kieran Trippier's has actually fallen off the the radar and form run as well since the World Cup, actually, hasn't he? He's, um, he was a barnstorming contender at the World Cup, team of the tournament kind of thing, and
4: probably struggled a little bit for Spurs this year. Is it the uh, is it the Barry Beckham or something like that? I call him. He's, uh, <laughs> he's better known for his free kicks. So for me, that that tells you something. Uh, Defenders defend first. You know, don't be known for your free kicks. Defend, don't concede a goal, don't get done by a set piece, don't let your man get inside you and score a goal, which we've seen Carl Walker do, we've seen Trippier do. I, I like the old-fashioned defenders, and they're not around anymore.
1: Yeah, Luke, um, after a club record of 520 games, 121 goals over 11 and a half seasons, a 31-year-old Napoli legend, Marek Hamsik, this caught me by surprise. He's made a 17 17-
0: Million dollar move to China for a handy twenty
1: million dollar payback with Dalian Yifang, and I've got no idea if I pronounce that correct. But that move is ching ching. <laughs>
3: <laughs> That's cashing in. That's look. He's um. You can't. You you know. You you're in your thirties now. Uh. You know. You you're looking beyond your football and your playing career, and and obviously he's looked to cash in, and, and it's a big money move, and you, you see many players do it. Uh. You seen Fellaini recently just do it as well. You know and. Everyone's well aware what people go to China mm. for and, and it's quite simple that he's gone there to cash in.
1: Yeah, he's done everything at Napoli. He's a club icon, so sort of like at this stage of my career, let's go. What do you make of Fellaini's move to China? Uh, it's kind of a symbolic, well, Moyes and Mourinho are gone now. United don't need him.
4: Yeah, I mean, obviously the uh, the long balls long gone. Uh, <laughs> David Moyes is is suffering for it, uh, but again, just just like Luke says, there they've gone chasing the money out and they're thinking of retirement and thinking about sorting their families out, and it's it's uninspiring for me. When you go for the cash, which let's you know, let's get it right, we probably all would, but it's it's about winning trophies at that level, and they've gone solely for the cash, um, and. As a, as a football person, pundit, whatever you want, you, you don't like to see it, but we understand why.
1: Yeah. Um, well, speaking of moves, uh, Gav, Jamie McLaren's move back to Australia in the A League with Melbourne City is.
2: The correct decision for him, I think. Um, you know, he's. Lennon, you Neil know, Lennon's left hips. He's a bit uncertain what's going on. He's got an opportunity to come back. I think it was a three and a half year deal he's got, so I think it's the right move for him uh, at this point. It's a bit disappointing, obviously, not you even obviously, Europe to come back to to the league at this point in his career, but I think coming here, you'll be like the big, big fish in a small pond. Basically,
1: what was your what was the word on the street in Scotland from some of your former teammates or, or mates that are over there watching yeah. week in, week out?
2: No, obviously good player, good finisher, uh, in and out of the team. You know, not doing it week to week, uh, maybe as much as what he could do. Um, and you know, if if you're in Scotland and not playing every week and, and doing it week in, week out, then you know, you might struggle. Go somewhere else in Europe. So um, I think it's the right move for him.
1: Let's continue that discussion, but I'm just going to play a quote here as we move. In two, he said, "What?" And this is Western Sydney Wanderers boss Marcus Babel after getting absolutely towed by Newcastle Jets in the A League last week.
2: They're not like like us. We, we played, you know. This is, we, we, if I lose five-one, I'm I would be upset uh, uh, for the whole week. There after five minutes is a normal life. This is this is not an Australian problem. This is a whole
0: world problem. The generation is different.
3: Oh I think he couldn't have said it any better. I couldn't agree any any more. I think you know if you take take a side that he's the coach from that team and just talking in general, I think he's absolutely got it spot on because it is a generational thing and it's it's too easy and for players to lose nowadays. I think um you know back in the day there were consequences and you took it more to heart. I think you you look at that back in the the olden days and you would. I, I I know that when when I was going through in in England when I first went over there and in the in Middlesbrough back in the day in was it early two thousands and it was like that and and it would hurt. You wouldn't you wouldn't put your head out of out of the car window or you know be sneaking out of the back door of the stadium to get home and you wouldn't dare get out all week and to we'll jump on Instagram. Out. Yeah, you, no, you wouldn't. You just get hounded for it. And and nowadays it is. It's too easy they they finish, they lose, and off they go, and on the phones and enjoy a night out. Just on that, um, I actually went to the
4: game before Brisbane, uh, Brisbane at home to so Western Sydney just, uh They were cruising two 0 I think I left the stadium actually about seventy five minutes. I've gone back to the hotel thinking, ah, oh, they've, they've, they've battered them. They'll definitely win. And uh, I started speaking to a few people in the lobby, like later on, and I was saying, oh, the, the game, you know, Brisbane weren't very good at, at on that game, and Western Sydney had beat them. And they were like, no, 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 they didn't. It ended up 2-2. I was like, you're joking. So I got the phone out. I had a look at, the, obviously, the mistake in the last minute, the corner they concede in the, in the 94th or whatever it was. And just on about half 11, 12 o'clock, quite a few of the players were coming in. They'd been out. So in my day, if you, if you that was kind of a defeat. You know, you concede a goal like that in the last minute. You draw 2-2. You know, the last thing you'd be doing is going out. So I think what Babel's saying... Is right. Um, you know, how can you, you get beat 5-0 or, or 5-1 or, or even lose in the last minute 2-2 but then you're out on the town? I'm not saying they were getting drunk or, or whatever but they obviously don't care. For me, you go in your room, you know, you, you have a think about yourself and you think about the game and, and the last thing you do is go out.
2: Uh, just, and yeah, I obviously totally agree, but you know, I think with the generational change, um, as coaches and managers you've got to you've got to adapt to that. There's, that's the way it is. You know, we can't, you know, harp on about it being a problem. It's, it's the way it is. So, you know, the way we coach nowadays is probably different to what the way we, we were coached when we were younger. And you have to adapt. Um so, so you know.
3: saying that, in you know, you've got to adapt to it. But it's a generational problem. And it's also I think for me, important to try and get that change, to develop that change and that understanding for our younger players to realise that desire, that, that desire, yeah. and how, how it how it should be. Because I, I I truly believe, and that's the problem that we have now. That's like a game.
4: Can you imagine uh, a Roy Keane in that squad? and his lads are going out, Roy Keane would rip their faces off. Right. Do you
3: know what I mean? He wouldn't have it.
4: Um, and that was the different, like we're talking about generations, but it's just, it's an unwritten rule. You know when to do, when not to do. I'm not, like again, they're not getting drunk, obviously, but they've gone for a wonder. But just get in your room, think about the game, and, and show, you know, imagine the fans seeing you. If you're a Man United player, and you've lost in the last minute, or you've whatever, and you're out in the town, the, the fans hate it. So you have a, a respect for the club.
3: I will tell you that one. I got a story back in Moscow and Spartak Moscow were having a bad time. But I had a mate there. Uh, it's actually it was Ada Magidi who'd come over to Spartak. I was at Dinamo and they were in a bad run. They had a few problems in the foreigners were all, always going out and enjoying themselves. And so a few of the Spartak fans saw them out out the clubs having a party after they lost uh, the Monday morning. They've come to train. They had a big group of the the ultras from Spartak. Um, carrying some weapons With a, with a few <laughs> threats And so You know that, That's, that's serious and, and, yeah. and, they, and they said They said They're their players And they said to them They said If we see you out on the town If you've lost the game We'll break your legs We don't care if you're yeah. our players That's how it was yeah. And you know Here here in Australia In the A-League It's it's just a game For some of them And like I say It's just too easy For them to accept losing So look We've touched on this A little bit last week With Paul Ocon And if you talk about
1: Yourself and him Guys that battled Through those tough periods Overseas uh, I asked about McLaren because he's someone that he's come back and he may score a run of goals and may go on to, to take that form to the national level, and we hope he does. But do you think it's the – Gav said it's the right option,
3: but is it the easier option to come back here rather than fight it out and come out through the other end overseas? I think it's both on his on his part. I think, I think you're right. If you're over there in Scotland, um, you know, at Hibs, which is not a top, top club, and, and not even playing regularly and regularly scoring. I think to come back here and, like you said, being a big fish in a small pond is, is maybe the good option for him and his career at this point in time. is 20 in Scotland at the minute. What would you do? <laughs> yeah, oh, exactly, and you've got a better lifestyle. Yeah, But that's that comfort thing, and, and, and that's the, you know, sometimes the downfall for Australians is they've got that easy option just to come back. It's nice and comfortable. And enjoy a great lifestyle and easy football. Do you think that has a flow on effect to the general state of the Australian game? Is it
1: too easy for these guys who if it doesn't work at the Wanderers they might go to the Mariners if it doesn't work at the Mariners they might go to the Phoenix and so on. And from your impressions having come and looked at it outside mm. in is that an Australian thing is or, is it, or is, it, is it a broader issue than that and we're just part of a you know this is the time this is, this is the age. Yeah I think it,
2: <coughs> to be honest I think it's a broader issue uh, we talked about it being generational um, I think it's definitely that but it seems to be like you, like you touched on in in a league. The players seem to jump from club to club, and rather than stick it out, and we've got even at our level, NPL level, I have players that you maybe don't get a chance, you know, a couple of weeks, and then they look to leave and try and get a gig somewhere else rather than fight it out, um, and that's wrong. You know, you should first of all pick a club that you think's got the right philosophy, the right culture for you and then try and stick it out and try and fight for your place. And if you can't do that at a club that's good to you, you're not going to be able to do it at a club that's not going to treat you well. So it is a generational thing, but there is other factors as well, for sure.
1: Interesting stuff. And obviously, uh, Marcus Babel's comments are in context of a team that he's losing and that he is struggling with, but they still struck a chord because they're still very, very interesting and thought-provocative All right, we're going to jump back to the Premier League where we had uh, Ashley Cole, who was the the former Chelsea player. He's now playing with his old mate Frank Lampard at Derby. He was in the Sky Sports studios over the weekend and he was talking about Maurizio Sarri and saying how he needs a little bit of time and that he can bring exciting Italian football to England with Chelsea. But what he said next was very, very interesting about um, who his favourite manager was during his time at Chelsea.
4: I enjoyed Scolari and Shalotti. Was probably my favourite too. He came and he he brought this new lease of life. It was just like playing for Brazil. He said, "Let's play like Brazil." We kind of had no rules in terms of we could play, we could go where we want, and we was playing some great football. And then, probably by December, we kind of pitted out a bit, and and after that, he got the sack. <laughs> he lasted half a yeah. season, didn't he? Uh, interesting one for me. Players always. Speak about the manager that they've had the best time with, and sometimes it's because there's no discipline. So he mm. says we can do what we want. So for me, that's an instrumental comment. Ancelotti, I know a few people at Chelsea, and he was always lads, you know, no discipline, eat what you want, do what you want, and and they enjoy it. He's had Mourinho. Mourinho released him. He doesn't like him. He's had Spalletti. He's released him. They're not telling me Mourinho and Spalletti aren't good coaches. It's just a personal thing. He's had Mourinho twice. Gusidink, Carlos Ancelotti. Dean Mateo, Rafa Benitez, but he mentions the ones where he can just do what he wants.
1: He said something off the back of that, we didn't play, which I thought was interesting. We said, and the full-bass could do what we want. We could both get up and down the pitch. The right and left-back. Well, no wonder Chelsea were shipping goals and he was out. Why that comment is interesting, and we played it this week, is with all the talk about Sarri and will Chelsea finally be patient with the manager, they sacked Scolari, a World Cup winner, of course, when he was sitting fourth after seven months. Now, Chelsea aren't even doing that well at the moment so if that's a little bit of background for Chelsea fans and for Sari fans
4: look out I think Scolari couldn't speak English at the time
1: yeah it was well he didn't even have time to adapt to the country he was in and out straight away now here's a man who absolutely can speak English and this is another classic grab from one of our favourite uh, voices on the Gagan Pod, Harry Redknapp
3: you know you have to laugh it? it's scary isn't it really you, you give them you sign them on and then they want more money For I signed a player once and uh, a top player fantastic player and uh, we'd done the deal, and he wanted a gold bonus. He was a striker. I said, well, what do you think we're paying you 50 grand a week for? <laughs> to miss him? You know, I mean, it's like scary, isn't it? Remind you of anyone?
4: Well, of, a, a, I followed uh, red up shortly when he was at um, Portsmouth. When I went there as assistant manager. We had uh, King Carnu, um, and, and we had an issue with him. He's come in, we start training at 10 o'clock, and he's come in and said, I can't make it. I can't make 10 o'clock. We're like, well, you know about training starts at 10? He said, no, Harry said I can come in when I want. And we said, well, you got to make training at 10 o'clock. And in the end, he's uh, he had a year left in his contract. He just left the club because uh, he said he couldn't get in from he couldn't get him from London to Portsmouth because he was dropping his kids off at school. So incredible stuff. But I think that's the, the stuff that Redknapp had. He he, he enjoyed the plays. He got the best out of the players.
3: And, uh, you know, good luck to him. Yeah, I think it's it's interesting. He's, he's always been a character in football. And, you know, I guess you probably don't have that many characters around like him. He's, he's a special one and there's a lot of stories that's going on with it but but look, I think, I think that's incredible that he's, he's coming out. He's, he's telling these stories. I think it's brilliant for, for people to hear and I think there's going to be plenty more coming out from him.
1: Yeah, nice. Well, guys, onto our next topic and it's a Champions League preview. We're, we're a week away. We cannot wait because our live broadcasts are returning to Optus Sport next Wednesday. It's that time of year where we find who is the best team in Europe and we're going to have a bit of an argument. All right, we're going to go across and see um, what you're predicting in the crystal ball and you're going to be on the record, held to these in a couple of months' time. All right, Gav, who wins it? I'm glad I'm getting to go first, so I'll <laughs> choose Barcelona. That's an easy one. One answer each one.
3: I said I said a few, oh, probably a month or so back, that PSG, I still think uh, if they get through Man United and get Neymar back, I think they've still got a chance.
4: I think PSG, if they keep the players fit, Um, but I'd I tip Juventus at the start, so I'll have to stick with
1: that. Okay, and I'll throw in Manchester City, I just... With the Premier League uh, focus there, I know it's a distraction, but they've got Schalke first up. That's a that's a dream run, and I don't know. I just feel like they're they're working towards that next step in their in their role in their building blocks. You're laughing. They're going to do the double. Why not? Depending, why not? They absolutely can. Quadruple. Still in the FA Cup and the League Cup. It's Not impossible. It's not impossible. And they're equipped to deal on a number of fronts too, as well. So you
3: never never know uh, who'll be the de- defining star of the tournament. Oh, that's a that's a tough one. There's a lot there. I think um, you know. Look, I'm back in PSG, so I'm hoping that Mbappe is gonna gonna really shine in coming into these playoff rounds. Jeez, that's one hell of a year if he takes them to the Champions League title.
2: Gab, what are you most looking forward to? Um, some of the some of the ties are looking really you know. Uh, taste there's a few good games there, of course. The Champions League is outstanding. It's it's, a great, it's one of the best competitions in the world, if not the best in terms of football. Obviously, everyone loves watching it. Um, you know, a few good games there like to see Man United obviously do well against PHA but it'll be a tough one um, yeah still fancy Barcelona though
1: who's under the most pressure and uh, that includes a team that's just back to back to back winners just quietly I'd imagine
2: yeah I
4: think um, to be honest Real Madrid are under severe pressure um, I think when they go out of uh, the Champions League which at some stage they will they're not good enough I think you'll see the manager go
1: yeah, that's. Right. I mean, if he's if trying to prove his credentials and he doesn't, Solari would be. Uh, that would be his audition. But at the same time, uh, Nico Kovac at Bayern Munich, I think that Liverpool tie is intrigued. How far they go will probably hold his future. But in terms of under pressure, I mean, um, the tip for Juventus it's like, well, you sign a Cristiano Ronaldo, you're expecting that next level, to, and that is that winning the Champions League. Oh, they're under massive pressure. Those three clubs, um, and I'll throw PSG into that mix too. They're desperate. They're desperate to get across the line in this tournament. So um, I expect those three clubs under the most pressure. And I, if you are tipping a, a player, that I'm most looking forward to. Do you see Messi's brace on the weekend? Oh, that I goal didn't. against against Valencia. You just think if they're going to go through deep, he's just this. This is his chance to get wipe the three years of Real Madrid's wins away and get Barcelona back to where they need to be. All right. Now, this, I love this part of the podcast each week because you never know where it's going to go. Oh, here's a good yarn. Gent Frankfurt's and Rebic didn't celebrate scoring against his ex-club RB Leipzig on the weekend. The problem was he admitted he didn't celebrate the week before against Freiburg because he thought he was playing another form of his former clubs, Fiorentina. Different league, mate. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the daftest <laughs> player you've been involved with?
4: Probably myself, um, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> I, um, I remember once I was at Bradford, we we're, were in the Premier League. Um, we had, a, 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 I think it was an FA Cup, a League Cup game away at Reading. I was captain and played. I thought I did all right. I've gone to the game on the Saturday, I think we are playing Sunderland at home, and Paul Jules named the side and I weren't in it. So I'm thinking, how have you gone from captain, doing all right, to not in the team? So I've, I've stormed out the dressing room. i got a load of mates coming from Manchester, straight to the players' lounge, it the Budweiser. I think I'm on my third bottle of Budweiser, which obviously is not great um, as, as, a, as a footballer. And uh, one of the young lads comes running in and goes, Gaffer, what are you doing? What are you doing? I said, what do you mean? He said, you're on the bench. I went, you're joking. So I was on my third Budweiser. I have ended up on the bench. And I get on for the last 20 minutes against Sunderland. And... Uh, for the record, I had a blinder. <laughs> <laughs> Who were you up against? Who were some of the players you were you were literally it, I against? I think it was Kevin Phillips and maybe Niall Quinn at the time. Uh, definitely Phillips, I think. But um, I think Sunderland were flying. They were, I think, they were top four Sunderland, and uh, we got a, an half decent result. But what a! That's probably the daftest thing I know. <laughs> Hydration's the key. That's what they say. That's what you've,
1: you've proved there. Do you have a, a similar story? Not a, maybe not involving yourself. Um,
2: daftest player would probably be Michael Chopra when he was at Cardiff. Well, he's he's some character. Yeah, so know, still, know no from, India. from India, of course. Yeah, yeah great guy. Um, unfortunately, I had a really bad problem with gambling, and he used to put bets on before the game, and then he'd have get somebody on the on the bench to take his phone, so he'd be a throw-in and he'd be over asking the bench What's his, how's the bets getting on, how's the race going and you're like, in the middle of a game in the championship we try to get promotion and he's asking the bench if, if his race is won and you're just like That's why nowadays
3: with all this betting and playing sports and uh, you know, I guess from, from back in those days it, it was like that Sadly, and, and the players have those problems with gambling, which sometimes can be a problem as well over there in the Premier League.
1: Yes, interesting. Very interesting. Different times
3: now. All right, we're going to move on to another one. I love
1: this, this quote from Gennaro Gattuso on Daniela De Rossi. AC Milan played Roma. They drew one all in Syria on the weekend. And De Rossi had been out injured for a little while, and uh, his former Italian teammate paid tribute. He said, We shared a wonderful experience together in the World Cup in 2006. I've aged horribly. He looks great. I think he's only six or seven years younger and I look like his dad. All right, we must have an ageless wonder or an ageing wonder that you know that you can tell us about.
2: Yeah, um, I was lucky enough when I was at Dundee. um, We signed Claudio Canidia, which is just unbelievable, obviously, in the first place just that that signing. um, Yeah. Coming to coming to Dundee, um obviously all well, those former clubs and being a World Cup winner as well. Um he was thirty three when he came to Dundee and he was he looked like he was about twenty three and he was like ripped to shreds, still lightning quick. So I wouldn't have liked to have seen him when he was younger, you know how quick he was. Um he's still the best player I was lucky enough to play with, um but you know, for, for being that age. And then he went on from us, signed for Rangers and had a a great career there as well. So he done really well as an older kid.
4: I think I, I was in India last year, I was technical director of side and our head coach was Teddy Sheringham and uh, I played with him at Man United years ago and he's, he's 52 now but he still looks, uh, I don't know if he's having treatment or he's injected himself <laughs> but he, he still looks like a male model so I'll, I'll have to go for Teddy Sheringham.
1: And you played obviously, Luke, in that World Cup against
3: De Rossi all those years ago and Cattuso. Yeah, look, I, I was shocked with that. I mean, we, we had a Europa League game when I was at final against... Against Roma over there, and one of the boys swapped shirts with De Rossi, and I think it was triple XL. He was absolutely massive. So I can't imagine how, after an injury, he comes back and and so fit. I mean, he's he's phenomenal, what he's done, and obviously the passion and love that he has for that club there, being there all his career. And look, he's a legend. He's a legend, and and he's. How he's looked after himself and kept himself going, is, yeah, it's remarkable.
1: Yeah, and some stats from that. So he turns 35, uh, he, sorry, he is 35. He came back after three months. He played the 90 minutes. He won 100% of his duels with 88 touches. And for a player probably not known for his as, as, a, as a passing midfielder, he had an 81% completion rate as well. So um, like like Totti, he's a bit of a king in Rome, that is for sure. Just as we wrap up, we've got another big weekend. There's always big weekends on the Sport with another glad of Premier League fixtures. And the beauty is now, it's a twist and turn every week. Whether Liverpool are leading off, whether Manchester City are leading off, there's something, we can just sniff it, something's going to happen. There's always something, a bit of drama up our sleeve.
4: What are we most looking forward to uh, coming up on the weekend? I'm looking forward to uh, Bournemouth battering Liverpool. Uh, Man City fan <laughs> and Bournemouth are flying at the minute. Uh, Josh King, who was at Blackburn when I was there as a, as a coach, uh, on fire. And hopefully they'll uh, they'll smash Klopp's men.
1: But can you tip Bournemouth? They're up for the big games, the, the, the dropping games that they probably shouldn't be. What
4: What's your read on them? I just think they're, uh, they're they're playing a little bit free, under no pressure, doing well, winning some, losing some. But they, they definitely score goals. Uh, they've got pace in the side, which is always dangerous. Uh, you know, they can hit Liverpool on the counter-attack, defend deep and hopefully... Uh, for man city as a fan they'll they'll do him
3: yeah i couldn't agree more i think i think that'll be a very interesting tie but obviously you look at the other side manchester city against chelsea i think it's a it's, it's a very big game mm. you know look I, I still back man city i think they they they've got the momentum and they they're going to pull through but i think as a Chelsea fan or Chelsea fans watching mm. into this game, I think it's a, a big challenge. I think they'd like to see him give him a shake.
1: Well, it's a more realistic challenge than the Huddersfield shellacking. And it's, what do you think, Gav? Is it better for Liverpool to lead off or to chase in in these in these sort of when there's 24 hours between the fixtures?
2: Um, I think always always go first, always lead. Um, get the points on the board. Obviously, if you don't get the points on the board, that gives other club advantage. But I would always say look to lead first, yeah, for sure.
1: Yeah, well, I, I mean, I mentioned it a bit earlier. I'm intrigued by Watford Everton. Uh, obviously, we don't know what's going to happen on Thursday. Is record this? But the Marco Silva derby. The thing with Marco Silva is he always starts well and then sort of peters off. And uh, he would hate to let Watford, uh, you know, they're in that level that Everton want to be ahead of. It. He would hate to see them and hand them three points going forward there. Um, and a uh, kicks off, of course, with Fulham versus Manchester United on the Saturday night. The very friendly eleven thirty PM kickoff, and Manchester City Chelsea ah, work on Monday. Doesn't matter. Make sure you watch that game. It's going to be absolutely outstanding. Gents, been brilliant chat. Great to have you all in. Thanks very very much. Big games on the weekend, as you mentioned, as your preparations go on in the NPL. And, uh, Ash, you have some punditry
4: over over in India, I believe. Yeah, I'm uh, shooting over there Sunday for the uh, the Champions League. Obviously, that starts up again, so uh, I'll enjoy that. Um, obviously, and uh, long travelling, but uh, nice to, to get paid for commentating on football.
1: <laughs> well, what's a. If you can do that and make a, pretend that's a job like we, or, or we try here, <laughs> we're very lucky indeed. Well, thanks everyone for your company again. And as ever, enjoy your football wherever it is and whenever it is on Optus Sport.